0: Holy Father, please um, help us to listen with intent as much as we're able in ourselves, but over above that, Father, please, by your spirit, help us to have open hearts, and spiritually as it were, that are, that are open. Please change our minds, change our hearts, and change how we live. Amen. Amen. Great. We've all, I mean, we've already had a great summary in many ways uh, in the prayers that Alan Vidge have prayed. Uh, remember what we saw yesterday? Yesterday was kind of the big picture stuff. Yesterday was the, the doctrine stuff, if you like. Yesterday was the, the biblical theology, seeing what God has been doing and is doing and will continue to be doing until Christ returns, namely gathering a people to himself. And we saw that in a in a mysterious, but no less real way all Christians are already gathered in the heavenly places and we saw that that cosmic gathering is made manifest in the local church He said obviously that has implications in terms of commitment, our loyalty loyalty our relationships and our giving. okay so that was the kind of big picture stuff. today we're going to look more uh, in some sense at the, at the nitty-gritty what does it mean? For us to, to take that big picture stuff and apply it. How are we going to live differently at Christchurch Mayfair? And in this first talk, we're going to talk about maturity. How it is that we, as Christchurch Mayfair, are going to grow up into maturity. And what we're going to see, as a slightly kind of village people graphic on your handout says, is that if we're to grow up into maturity, Everybody has to play their part. Christchurch Mayfair needs you. Okay? Good. What page are we on? People are not there. 11. Okay, page 11. <coughs> so your, your church needs you. Christchurch Mayfair needs you if we are to grow up into maturity. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Who is responsible for the maturity or the spiritual health of Christchurch Mayfair. Pra- perhaps you think, um, it's the bishop's responsibility. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, perhaps you, perhaps you think it's, perhaps you think it's Matt Fuller's responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of oh, all the responsibility of people like me and... No. <laughs> doing my gag for me. (laughs) Perhaps you think it rests with the person who really holds the reins of power at Christchurch Mayfair. (laughs) 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 What what we're going to see is that it's the the responsibility of everyone. We are are all responsible for spiritual health and growth to maturity of Christchurch Mayfair. So turn with me, will you please, to Ephesians 4, and I'll read verses 1 to 16. Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. Okay, Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace has been given, as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna we'll spend most of our time uh, sort, of, sort of looking at the conclusion in verses 15 and 16, the last point on your handouts. But we're gonna we're gonna look uh, systematically how how Paul builds up that conclusion in verses 15 and 16. Uh, so we'll start, we'll start verses 1 to 6, and the title I've put there, but, um, Paul start this by saying, really, the Spirit has already created unity. The Spirit has already created unity. So yes, Paul is going to need to tell us that we need to grow up
1: into maturity,
0: but he wants to kind of underpin that whole discussion by reminding us that, that the... The, the unity has already been created, so he wants to ground this discussion in the objective reality of what God has already done. So look how he look how um, he begins in verse one. He says, "As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received." And in the book of Ephesians so far, that's exactly what Paul has done. He has, he has explained, you know, in a sense, some of the stuff we looked at yesterday. He's explained that Christ has been given as head over everything to the church. He's explained how we are all united already in Christ as his body. He's talked about how the fact that we <coughs> are being built up into the household of God as a temple of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's already said that in Ephesians. And now he says, look, live a life worthy of that calling. Be, be that church that in a sense you already are. And, and verse, and sure, look, I mean, we do have, you do have duties in, in, um, in verse two. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Um, and we'll talk a lot more actually in the next session about that kind of thing. We do have duties, but, but verse three, doesn't say, you know, make every effort to produce the unity of the Spirit. It doesn't say that. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So it's talking about a unity that God through his Spirit has already produced. We don't have to manufacture it or fabricate it ourselves, because God has already done it the whole discussion of growing up to maturity is framed by what God has already done. God has taken the initiative. We are already one. And Paul emphasises that with the staccato ones in the rest of the verses. So he says, um, verse 4, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, so he's overall, through all, and in all. So he's, he's emphasising the oneness that, that God, through His Spirit, has already produced, uh, and that's that's the sort of the foundation for all of this discussion, as we talked about yesterday. But then, from the big picture one, Paul talks. He to, he moves to talk about the oneness of each of us individually. So did you see that in verse seven? He says, but to each of us, each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, verse 7. Now on to the second point on our sheets. Those with word gifts equip God's people for the vital work of nurturing the church. So in verse 7, Paul has moved to talk about the grace that had been given to each one of us. And grace has been given to us. He says Christ is the one who has given <laughs> grace to each one of us. So look what it says um, in verse 8. <clears throat> this is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. So it's a picture of the ascended, the risen, ascended Christ, leading, leading us as his redeemed people and and giving, and giving out grace to each one of us. Actually, from Psalm 68, where this quote is taken, in its original context, it's talking about the way that, that, that Yahweh rescued his people out of Egypt and led the, all, the, all the people of Israel who were captives out of Egypt. It's a wonderful picture where, and you remember, the, the Israelites plundered, plundered the Egyptians, uh, and the psalm, poetically, is, is saying that, that God... You know, took gifts from from the Egyptians and gave them to his people so it's that it's that glorious picture and Paul is saying actually in its fullness that picture in Psalm 68 actually relates to Jesus so you have this picture as I say of the, the risen ascended Jesus leading us people who once were captive that, and, and giving out gifts I think that's the point of the of the logic in uh, verses verses nine to ten, which, which seem a little bit strange, I, I think what it's kind of what it's saying is, what does it mean that he ascended from the quote, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? And I think we're going to go, oh well, that sounds like Jesus because we know Jesus descended to earth because we saw him when, when he walked around on earth, or the apostles did. And then it says. You know the one who descended, i.e., Jesus, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And Paul would say, you know, we as apostles know that because, uh, you know, many of them saw him actually ascend. They saw him when he was, he was risen again. They saw him ascend, and so that's why Paul is happy to apply the, the image of Psalm sixty-eight in its fullness to Jesus. So you have this, you have this um, picture of, of Jesus giving out gifts to the people he's rescued. Grace to each one of us. And the thing is, you, you possibly think at that point, when he said he gave grace to every one of us, you possibly think he's going to talk about the, the gifts that each of us individually have. You know, for a body, all, all of us have different gifts. That so might be hospitality, it might be administration, it might be an do for PowerPoint or, or computer stuff or music or whatever. Maybe you think that that's the sort of individual grace he's talking about. But it isn't that in Ephesians. It talks about that kind of thing elsewhere in the New Testament, but in Ephesians it's not that. Because verse 11, it talks about a particular kind of category of gifts, or you might say kind of offices or or roles in the church. It says, verse 11, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, And some to be pastors and teachers. That's a list of sort of five elements to it. I tend to kind of think about that in a sort of shorthand way of of people with kind of upfront word ministry gifts. That's how I kind of summarize verse 11. People with with upfront word ministry gifts. Although, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a bit of a blurred line, a bit blurred, a bit Uh, grey. For example, you know, Ruth Spends her time doing Zoom word ministry. She's not upfront on a Sunday preaching, but you know I think you include that in that, in <coughs> that list. People, people who sort are of, doing full time word ministry, but perhaps with particular emphasis on those with sort of upfront proclamatory ministry, if you like. And Paul is saying that, that it is those people with those gifts, or people holding those offices, or doing those roles in the church, that is the, that is the grace given to every single person in the church. Uh, it's a bit embarrassing talking on this, in a sense, because it, it kind of is saying, those with front word gifts are kind of God's gift to the church. So it's the American saying that. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I, I know I chose this passage, so <laughs> um, but, but that, that I think is what it is saying. Those are that front, front word gifts are, are Christ's gift to the rest of the church. So you've got this, uh, you've got this fantastic imagery of, of Christ, the ascended king, you know, with his big bag of swag. Giving out, giving out gifts to the rest of the church. So he kind of, he reaches into his bag, and he pulls it out, and it's Matt Fuller done up in pink ribbon with a bow on top. Of the bag and he throws it out to Christchurch Mayfair, and everyone goes, thank you, what a gift. And he puts his hand into the bag again, and it's Simon Peddy, kind of trussed up in polka dot wrapping paper, and he gives it out to the church, and everyone is thankful. Because of the grace, the grace given to every single person in Christchurch Mayfair. That is the image here in Ephesians four. And you so, say, well, okay, what are those with kind of upfront word ministry gifts to do? And the answer comes in verse twelve. To prepare God's people so, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the whole body of Christ may be built up we are to prepare you guys for doing the hard work the work of service or you could translate it work of ministry exactly the same word in Greek we are to prepare you guys for the work of ministry why end of verse 12 so that the whole body of Christ may be built up so so there it is there it is saying that the people who are responsible for Christchurch mainfair being built up into maturity are you guys. So, so yes, when, when, when I or anyone is preaching, of course I'm, I'm wanting to sort of, I'm wanting uh, God's word hopefully through me to kind of impact you there and then. Obviously I'm preaching uh, hopefully God's grace to change your hearts, all of that kind of thing. But there is a sense in which when any of us are, are preaching, one of the things that we are praying is that our preaching and our teaching will equip you or prepare you for work of ministry, so that the whole church may grow up. So it's a bit like uh, it, it's a, it kind of like all illustrations. It's not perfect, but it's a bit like that. The sermon is some is is in some sense the kind of training ground before the match. The sermon, if you like, is kind of the the parade ground or the military exercise before the actual battle. There's a sense in which the the sermon is the preparation or the equipping so that you guys can do the work of ministry, the work of (coughs) service, so that we all grow up into maturity. And we'll come on in a minute to, to look exactly what it is that that work of ministry or work of service that the sermon should be preparing you guys for it. Okay. But so that's how it works. Christ gives the gifts of those with with um, upfront word ministry to the church to prepare you guys for that work of service, for that work of ministry. But why? Why is it so important that this kind of thing happens? Verses 13 to 14, the next point on your sheet. We are all in grave danger unless this growth to maturity happens. Okay, so verse 13 and 14. So, quick, you guys, the work, ministry. Verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining for the whole measure Of the fullness of Christ, so it's saying we need to grow up into mature unity. And maybe you say, "Well, hang on a minute, Matt. I thought I thought the whole point was that we're already united. Why is it now talking about growing up into unity?" And I admit, I I think it's one of the mysterious things. I I think I fully understand it, but I think I think it's sort of something like this. Hopefully, an illustration will help. Um, Imagine a a, a nuclear family. They're parents, two kids, say, Christian family, and yet of course that that family is united, isn't it? It's united biologically, and if they're Christians, they're they're united spiritually, and that that in a sense is an is an objective truth that that unity exists. But there's a difference between the parents going, okay, maybe the dad is the because he's responsible ultimately, going, okay, we're united, that's fine, let's sit back and not worry about it. Let's still be united, of course. But there's a difference between doing that and the parents, the dad in particular, going, look, we're, we're going to do family quiet times. We're going to mention the name of Jesus in our family. We're going to talk about spiritual things around the dinner table. You know, in that example, the, the family will sort of grow up into a mature unity in a more visible, um, a more tangible, a, a richer unity, if you like, than if nothing had been done. And I think that's the kind of thing going on in verse 13. He's saying you are united, but you need to grow up into a kind of mature, into a mature, visible, perhaps, or lived out unity. That's what he's talking about. Because the consequences for us if we don't are, are catastrophic, or they're terrifying. Have a look at what it says in verse 14. Then, if that happens, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. And what what an image. An infant being blown around by wind and waves. That happens. I don't know if it's sad to read them I suppose it was like two weeks two ago, was it? You know, when when there, was, there were those storms in this country, uh, the Jude Storm, wasn't it, I think it was called. You know, I read about uh, a young man, his name was Dylan, I think it was West Sussex, playing on the beach with his friends. Wind and the waves took him off. As far as I know, he's pres- presumed dead. A terror terrifying, terrifying image. So don't, don't let's be naive about this. <coughs> don't let's be naive. The, the winds of teaching by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. They are serious and they have serious consequences. And you know, praise God for, as far as I understand, as far as I understand it, 12 years of unity and maturity and growth and faithful teaching, and godly men and women who have taught God's word with integrity at Christchurch Mayfair. But Paul said, don't be naive, do not take that for granted. Out there in the world, there is a terrifying wind blowing, a wind of secularisation that wants to have nothing to do with God, and which mocks and scorns his son. And in the denominations, in other churches, we don't have to think very hard to think about people who have succumbed to that, to that wind, to those waves of false teaching that that has wrecked people's faith. No, I, I don't. I don't think it is wrong to you know to look at you know the images of that, that horrible typhoon in the Philippines. I don't know if you saw it on the TV last night or this morning. Just. Devastation. Trucks on top of cars, just hundreds of houses laid bare, trees just ripped down. I don't think it is an exaggeration to say that in the spiritual realm, that is what has happened to our nation, that is what has happened to the to the main denominations in our country. A spiritual hurricane, a spiritual tidal wave has, has, has blown through and done terrible, terrible damage. Paul not don't, don't let's be naive, don't let's think how we're somehow immune to that. Don't let's think just because, you know, there's, there's safety in numbers, don't let's think because, praise God, we've got a, got a great building, a young, keen congregation. Let's not be naive and think we're immune to that. To the extent that we are not working together to grow up into mature unity, that is to the extent to which we are in danger of, being, of succumbing to those hurricane winds, if you like, that are actually all around us. It's vitally important. This work, all of us doing the work of ministry together, all of us working together so that we grow up into mature unity, is vitally, vitally important. And so we come to come to the conclusion now where Paul report tells us exactly what it is that this work of ministry that we're all to be involved in is. So That's the final point. This growth will only happen if each of us plays our part. What is this work of, of ministry that we're all to do? Well, it's there in verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. The particular thing that each of us is to be doing is, is that, it is speaking the truth in love to each other. Now yes, yeah, sure, all, all of us have many, many gifts that are vital to serving each other at Christ Church Mayfair. As I said, you know, hospitality, admin, music, all of those kind of things, and we, and we should use those gifts as God has given them to us. But the one thing all of us must be doing is also speaking the truth. In love to each other, and it will look different to different people. We've got different sort of temperaments, different roles in church. But but the sort of the thing we must be doing is speaking the truth in love to each other. Now I'll be I'll be totally honest. That that word in Greek where it says speaking the truth, it, it's a funny word in Greek. It doesn't actually say speaking the truth in love to each other. Some you, speaking the truth is kind of a slightly over translating it. You could translate it as sort of being of truth. Together, but that would kind of lead me to under translate it. The word generally does carry with it the idea of a truthful speech. Okay, but I just want to be honest with you about about what it actually says. But certainly that idea of speaking and unity is, is tied together by Paul at other places in Ephesians. So just have a look down to chapter four, verse twenty-five. <clears throat> 4 verse 25 it says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. And then verse 29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now look, when it says don't, you know, speak falsehood or when it says speak the truth in love, it's not just saying, you know, don't lie to each other or don't tell fibs, Right? I mean, obviously true don't lie to each other don't tell fibs but I think from the context of Ephesians it is more than that speaking the truth means reminding each other of gospel truth reminding each other that the pattern of history is God gathering a people to himself under Christ when it says speaking the truth to each other I think it means taking the gospel and applying it deeply and sensitively and lovingly into each other's lives. As Paul says, make sure each of you takes responsibility and speaks the truth in love to each other. I know each of us has a role in doing that. Have a look at verse 16. It says, from him the whole body joined and held together, here it is, by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work it's the body metaphor again we each have a role to do and isn't isn't that true in your own body i mean even if like a i mean i'm not a medic so i'm probably out of my depth but but it seems to me that you know even if some like small ligament in your shoulder goes wrong or breaks like your whole shoulder is knackered and it really hurts or something like that or you know in yeah knows for nose <laughs> or something you know something in your knee goes wrong even a small thing and your your whole leg aches that sound like an old man. But it's true, isn't it? A small thing doesn't play its part, do its job. It has big repercussions. And that is what Paul is saying. Each of us, each ligaments or whatever, does its job of speaking the truth in love. That is when we grow up into mature unity. It will look different to each of us. Exactly how we apply that. Let me throw out some ideas. So it might mean it might affect the attitude with which we come to kg on a Thursday. You know, of course, come to kg uh, wanting to catch up with friends obviously that that's a gr- good thing. I think what well, Paul would say don't don't come to kg with the attitude of a of a consumer, sort of you know, feed me, teach me. I think Paul would say no. Come to KG with that particular aim in mind to speak the truth in love to each other so that we all may grow up into mature unity. So it might affect how we come, the well, attitude of victory come to KG. Uh, we're going to hear in a minute um, about one-to-ones. So it, mu- it may mean that we think, yeah, actually, do you know, I, I, maybe I do have a bit of time. Maybe I could meet up with, with someone else and read the Bible one-to-one with them. A mate or, or, a, or a less mature Christian. And we could speak the truth in love to each other. Encourage each other to grow up into maturity. Maybe um, on a Sunday, you know, as uh, some of the ideas in that article, the, the Ministry of the Pew suggested, maybe it does mean we get to our gathering a little bit early with the particular intention of speaking the truth in love to each other. It doesn't mean you can't speak about football or, you know, how things have been in the week or, or you normal know, things. But it would mean coming with the realization that unless we get past those things, we probably won't be speaking the truth in love or applying the gospel deeply to each other's lives in the way that Paul would be commending us to here. And, it should, I think, affect how we listen to sermons. So yeah, when, when we listen to a sermon, I, I'm, I'm when I'm listening to one, I am thinking, yeah, please preach to me. Encourage me. Show me Christ. you set, set my heart on fire with love for Jesus. And we should be thinking those things. But I think we should be also, from this, thinking that extra thing as well of, equip me, prepare me for the work of ministry, for, for speaking the truth in love to my brothers and sisters afterwards. You know, Matt and I, Steve and Simon we'd love to know all of you guys, many of you guys better than we do, but realistically, with all the sort of the nexus of friendships in this group, with all the relationships, there'll be many ways in in which you guys are more intimately involved in each other's lives during the week, to an extent that we, uh, just a few of us, couldn't hope to be. And so, in the sermons, we're trying to equip you guys so that in those friendships, in those those deep and loving relationships, you guys can bring the gospel to bear on each other's lives in a way that we don't have the time or resources to do. So we should speak the truth in love to each other. And, you know, depending on temperament, some of us might need feel the challenge of to speak the truth a bit more. Some of us might feel the challenge of the do it in love a bit more. You know, it's all very well to have all the answers and to be able to, you know, lay the the spiritual smack down on someone. But if you're not doing it in love, I mean, don't bother, quite frankly. But many of us will find the the truth bit hard. You know, it takes courage to say, to challenge each other with the truth of the gospel. You know, that harsh word to your wife, I don't don't think that was particularly loving. Those more hours you're working at work, is, is that. Is that because you want to do a godly job, or is it because you fear your boss? Do you need to go on that? That's a comment, or could you stand up to your employer and say no? It's courage, isn't it? Take love to, to speak the truth in love with each other like that. Responsibility for the mature unity of Christchurch Mayfair lies not with not ultimately with. Matt or me or Stephen or Simon or even Sharon. It's with us. Christ Church made needs you. Let me pray. Oh Heavenly Father, that what a terrifying image to sort of see uh see in pictures perhaps the, the spiritual destruction that has been wrought on our our land and in the churches of this country and indeed around the world. As uh, false teaching, the deceitful scheming of people who who we fear don't love your lordship has has taken hold. And we, we pray against any naivety on our part, we pray against any complacency. We thank you so much for how you have protected the mature unity of Christ Church Mayfair through the years. We thank you for the faithful men and women who have preached and taught your word. We praise you for that. Thank you for it. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that the um, responsibility at this time and in this place lies with each of us, that you will help us in our task to give ourselves to that vital work of speaking the truth in love to each other. Amen. I do